Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Full Time Whistle podcast, bringing you all the news after the Full Time Whistle blows. In this episode, I will be joined by one of the country's leading journalists, Alan Nixon. Alan has been intensively covering the administration at Wig Athletic, and today we will hear his insights into the events that have happened at the DW Stadium. Unfortunately, in the podcast, we've had a few technical difficulties with the audio for a couple of minutes around the 15 minute mark, but you can still make out what was said. I really do apologise for this, but without further ado, this is the full-time Whittle podcast with Alan Nixon. First and foremost, Alan, to, for people who are aware of your work, can you give a brief description of who you are and what you do? I'm a football writer. I've been around uh, for a few decades, currently working with The Sun. Um, it's funny, before I did this, I was thinking, when did I first start covering Wigan? And it was the day Larry Lloyd got him promoted in the old fourth division at Springfield Park. So that might just date me without carbon dating me. That might just tell you uh, how long I've been about. So throughout this process, you've been at the forefront of the coverage leading Wing Athletics administration. What has been your opinion of the situation from start to finish? Just horrendous. Um, it really does, um, it gets into you, you know. You don't want to leave it alone because it's too big a story. Um, you know, I, I still remember the shock when uh, when it was when we found out it was going to be administration on July the first. You know, it's funny things like that stick in your mind that almost hour by hour how that one developed. And I remember at the time, think, you know, apart from the fact you think, "How's this happen?" You immediately think, "Well, how do you get out of this?" You know, I always think you try and find a solution to something apart from just going over all ground and why it happened and some of the basically wild ideas about why it happened in the first place. And, and from day one, I thought, well, you've got to find a way through this and, and a way through because I'd seen what happened at Bolton just a year ago. You've got to find a way through that doesn't completely cripple your club, not just the once, uh, but for a great deal of time in the future. So my, my focus straight away was what these administrators going to do, what are they going to leave you with? Um, and how are you going to find a buyer? Now, a lot of people said at the time, well, why don't you concentrate on the, the betting story and all the rest of it? The betting story never added up to me. The only thing that mattered to me and all the way through was find an owner. That is the priority in these matters. You've got to find an owner and you've got to do it fast. Otherwise, the damage gets worse by the day. And I hate to say it, but that's the way it's worked out since. Going back to the very start of the administration and the circumstances around it, are you able to give your opinion and, and reflect on that? Because I know it was very bizarre from the outside looking in, and I wonder if you had the same opinion. Well, what happened, I think I've got to probably wing it back a little bit to why it came to this. Stanley Choi, round about last November, uh, decided that his great idea to spend $20 million or so to get promotion wasn't going to work. So he was looking for help. He was looking for somebody to prop him up around about November. And that's when maybe one or two started thinking, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Has he run out of money already? Um, then you come to January and they could have sold Anthony Robinson and that would probably have tidied the club over until the summer. And we never have had this. Well, certainly not during the season. So the Robinson thing falls down and you think, oh, that's a bit of a financial blow. How are you going to find this money down the line? You do not expect suddenly for the club to just say, right, that's it, there's no more money. I mean, there was no indication of this. There wasn't really a hint that this was going to happen. And in football, we, we do kind of 
we all like to think, oh, no, no, the worst isn't going to happen. But the worst did happen, and it happened spectacularly. And the way it happened was was just astonishing. And they duped the Football League. I know people say it should be a better fit and proper person's test. Yes. But if you break an agreement that they had, and Stanley Choi had put money in for two years, remember, there was no reason for the Football League to question him. And he brought in this young guy as, at the time, a 50-50 partner. And then suddenly, he's in charge of virtually the whole thing. That's when you smell a rat. But they did that in such a way that nobody was aware of it. I think one or two fans were a little bit concerned, and to be fair, they did brilliantly to spot that as early. But at the time, I certainly don't think it was general knowledge that they'd done this move, and nobody thought that would eventually lead to them pulling the plug. Uh, and when they do, the administrators come in, and they've got a terrible job on their hands. I mean, you're, you're doing it in the middle of a season. No, not in the middle of a season. You're just back from project restart, all the rest of it. You still had a chance of staying up, and that would have been a major help. So when they come in, there's so many factors involved. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. They've got to raise money. They've got to find somebody to buy it, not knowing what they're buying. Are they buying a championship club or a League One club? So they went into a very chaotic scene. So I don't um, fault them for what happened in the first few weeks. Uh, but it's really since then that I've not been overjoyed with the process. It's, it's safe to say that you've had a lot of conversations and inter interactions with the UA Athletic Administrators at Begby's Trainer. What have you made yeah. of your conversations? Um, at the start, uh, I thought Krasner was very open. It was pretty obvious it was going to be the Gerald Krasner show. Uh, I mean, he was everywhere, wasn't he? And telling us all about the great administrations that he'd pulled off in the past. Okay, um, that's not really maybe what you want to hear. Um, now, at the time, I thought, well, okay, I'll... I'll see if we can bounce a few things off this guy and see what's going on. And I did, I was sending him texts on quite a regular basis. Then he stopped answering and saying no comment. And I thought, well, that's not very helpful. Uh, but by that stage, I'd actually got lines into four different groups who'd been trying to buy the club very quickly uh, by chance. And through people I know in the game, I found out who some of the potential bidders were. I spoke to them off the record clearly and, I, and we discussed it, you know, what do you think? I've got to say, every, every person I spoke to, I said, look, this is a club worth buying right now. This is a steal, I thought. And then they start looking at the books and all the rest of it and they say, well, wait a minute, we've seen the size of the payroll. The payroll was just ridiculous. I mean, clearly the previous regime, and I have to include the domestic board, were living the dream. They'd spent, they were spending so much money on good players. I mean, that was a good side. Good players and big wages. But the trouble is that when that money stops, anybody coming in has got to then pick up those wages and you couldn't do it. It was an impossibility. Everybody who looked at it initially ran away because the, way, the payroll was too high. And then they had to sell players. And I did the story about how they were going to have to sell a lot of players, which is denied foolishly. Of course they were going to have to sell players. They had to get the wages down. They had to get money in to keep the club going. The first thing they did was sell the young players and then they moved on to the ones they couldn't avoid selling because they got relegation clauses or whatever. Again, that's probably the fault of the previous regime for having a relegation clause in Anthony Robinson's deal and Kieran Dow. In fairness, that was the only way you would get those players, that calibre of player coming to Wigan 
would say, well, look, no, if the worst happened, we don't think it will. If the worst happened, will you sell us for the same price? And obviously the owners don't even consider the possibility of relegation. They're looking at promotion. And they say, yeah, okay. But that actual, those contract agreements were on the previous regime. So yet again, the administrators had to do the best of a bad job. And they got rid of Robinson. Obviously, Dowell goes back to Everton. But for me, the real crunch, the real tipping point was when we got to the stage of Kipri and Jamal Lowe. And by that stage, we had the, the latest, and I thought, I thought, I've got to say, I thought, I'm not an expert, I thought the most viable people at the time left was this French-American group, as I call them, of Gautier Ghani and the two American chaps who'd come on the scene. And when they came in, I thought, oh, at last, you've got money, 